Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 2003, the Stephen Schwartz musical Wicked debuted on Broadway. In the show, a character named Fiero, like the compact Pontiac wedge car, comes on the scene of a boarding school in Oz. He's a cool new guy, he's fashionable and aloof, and because it's a musical, he introduces himself by singing about it. Now, I'm not going to sing-sing this, I'm just going to sort of sing it, because I'm not that good, but here it goes. Dancing through life, skimming the surface, gliding where turf is smooth, life's more painless for the brainless, why think too hard when it's so soothing? Dancing through life, no need to tough it when you can slough it off as I do. Nothing matters, but knowing nothing matters. It's just life, so keep dancing through. That is a great philosophy for an unintentional and unexamined life, but not so much for people who have Christ living in them. There is an aim to this season, the season of Lent. There's an aim to this season to put to death the things of death and to let Jesus live more freely and fully in us. As we mourn this evening in virtual ashes for those things that we want Jesus to terminate in our lives, we see what Jesus offers for us in return. This is a season of preparation. It's a little bit like an engagement is preparation for a marriage. It's a special set of our time to ready for intimacy. And so, if you're only preparing for a lifelong relationship for a short amount of time, it's going to be a fairly tough adjustment for a lifetime of intimacy. And if we only prepare ourselves for resurrection during Lent, we're going to have a hard time adjusting to intimacy with God for all of eternity. Still, this is a time for us to focus up, 
to identify with the sacrifice of Jesus, the battle that he fought and won against temptation, sin, and death for us, and the life we have in store for us when we simply trust him and believe that what Jesus tells us about the path to life, that those things are true. Jesus tells us, and this is our first lesson this evening, we don't have to case the joint. We don't have to case the joint. He's telling his followers, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. For many years, I was part of a ministry that did street evangelism down at the New Orleans Mardi Gras. It was a crazy time. We had some amazing conversations with people. We didn't indulge in many of the pursuits of the flesh when we were down there, but we did eat well. Guaranteed, we ate very well. One year, one of the guys from our team was really mad on the last day when we were about to break camp and come home. He bought some king cakes, those traditional Mardi Gras cakes that have the little plastic babies inside of them, and he got the really good kind, and so they cost him something. And when he got ready to pack up and take them home, he found that the refrigerator in the church where we stayed, that those king cakes were gone. Poof. Disappeared. 40 bucks worth of tasty, unique-to-the-region delicacy, just gone. He figured maybe one of the guys took them, stole them, or maybe the pastor of the church thought that that was maybe some of the food that we had left there as a thank you for him, and so he hauled those off too. So this, this man was irate. He was upset. Something that belonged to him was taken, and there was a thief in our midst, so he was steaming. Did he have a right to be upset? I think so. Now, as it turns out, another guy from camp actually loaded the cakes into the cake owner's car just to be helpful and forgot to tell this guy. He was really contrite about his behavior later, but we get upset when people claim for themselves those things that are ours to use or to give as we see fit. We get a little possessive, maybe a little territorial. The kingdom of God is the realm of Jesus. The kingdom of God is the realm of Jesus. He was there at the time of creation. His ministry ushered that heavenly realm into the kingdom of earth. It's his territory to proclaim, to invite, and to welcome as Jesus sees fit. And yet, if we check our hearts a little bit, we might find that we often taste the kingdom of God's abundance without stopping to acknowledge that we enjoy those things by Christ's generosity. We skate through, maybe thoughtlessly and thanklessly. We keep those good things and the knowledge of God's kingdom to ourselves. And we become thieves who stumble along, robbing God of gratitude and of joy and glory. Not intentionally, but that unintentional peace is part of the challenge. And that takes us to lesson two. You have to aim for life. You have to aim for life. Jesus goes on, The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. 
We teach these lessons to young kids. We call it stranger danger. Don't go to the car of a stranger who rolls down a window to call you over. Make sure you tell a trusted adult if somebody makes you uncomfortable or asks you to keep a secret. Don't take candy from people you don't know unless it's Halloween. I don't know how that one works out, but it works out. But at a certain point, we forget what we taught others and we follow whatever voice calls to us. You need that promotion or you'll never be enough. If you don't lose those 10 pounds, you'll be ugly and nobody will love you. You need to buy this thing so your friends won't think you're a loser. And we buy it. All of it. On credit. We follow those voices of strangers, maybe because they're loud or distracting, but they are constant. And God's voice is still and small. And he doesn't often shout out to us. He whispers to us to slow down or rest and listen. To hear his voice in the words of scripture. To hear him assure us and compel us through prayer. And the more we hear and respond, the more we can tune in to God's voice. The better we hear him, the better we follow. And the more we follow, the more we experience life. That progress doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by the occasional spare time that we might have to offer. It happens because it's a priority or it doesn't because it isn't. And we get to make a choice. Because in this, we are either the arrow or the target. And that's our third lesson. Be the arrow, not the target. Be the arrow, not the target. Jesus says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A pastor friend and mentor of mine talks about his early career as a teacher, and he was about to have his very first parent-teacher conferences when he walked into the office of a veteran teacher and asked for some advice. What advice would you have for conducting these conferences? And this was a different era, so after the students left, this teacher was just kind of kicked back in his chair, feet on the desk. He had a mouthful of chaw in his lower lip, and he was just kind of working on it. And after a little bit, he spit into his spit cup, and he said, Son, be the arrow and not the target. Be the arrow and not the target. That was great advice for parent-teacher conferences, but it's also great advice for our Christian life. We have to take aim. We have to set our sights, our heart's desire, on the life that Jesus intends for us. Life that's full, abundant, true, rich, satisfying, and eternal. We don't accidentally stumble into that life, but we can very unintentionally stumble from it by inches that over time become miles. See, there is a thief who comes. This thief doesn't have the hope of the eternal presence of God and God's goodness. And we know that misery loves company. Jesus says there is an accuser. And if this accuser, the adversary to the gospel, has in pride rejected this eternal joy, then this same adversary will want to draw us away from it as well. The thief will try to rob your joy will try to destroy your eternity, will try to kill your lifeline to God, and he will do it if we let him. But God's desire for us is life, true, abundant, and eternal life. So in this season, we take aim. 
We take aim by purging those things that will rob us of life and joy. We take aim by adding those things that draw us nearer to our Savior and to eternity. We do this all by the grace of God who has pinpoint accuracy in nailing our sins to the cross by which our lives are restored and redeemed. For many Ash Wednesdays, we might depart from a time of worship with markings formed in ash in our foreheads. And those markings have many meanings. The raw material, the dust from which God breathes life into creation. The humility of sitting in sackcloth and ashes in repentance for our sin. But also, we get to identify with Christ in whom we live and breathe and have our being, or if we're not living for Christ, we're simply just marking a target on ourselves. I'm going to invite us to spend a moment to ask God what Jesus would have us aim for in the season of preparation. What would Jesus have us lay down? What would the Spirit invite us to take up? We'll take a moment of silence to hear from the Lord about where God is hoping to shape and aim our lives in the season of preparation leading us to Easter celebration and resurrection. Let's take a moment to quietly listen for God. Lord God, we ask that you would lead and guide us, that you would help us to be intentional, not to hope we stumble into holiness or stumble into life or stumble into grace. Your grace is ever present with us. But Lord, help us to put you first, to prioritize living in you, for you, in your presence. And Lord, we ask that this evening would be a start of a time when you dwell with us each and every day in ways that we seek out and that we live into. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this time of preparation, for the opportunity to identify with Christ and to know more of who you are so that our lives can be shaped and formed better into the image of Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Now I'll invite you just to Take your hand and close your eyes and just mark yourself with the cross on your forehead so you can know that the mark of Christ's love, the power of Jesus' transformation is over your life as well.